Um, this morning, I want to share a bit about myself, um, a bit about who I am, what, what makes me Scott, it's stories and some information that nobody in this room would, would know. You wouldn't know these things about me, but I want to be a bit vulnerable with you this morning. So let's journey together. I, I, there's a photo on the screen there. That's, that's the youngest Scott. Eh? Yeah, look at that. Eh? I mean, you may look at a photo like that. Um, you may ask questions like, where did all the hair go? I mean, that is... To be a silly question to ask, so let's not, not be asking that. But that is the younger Scott. That is a, a very different person that, than the person you see today. The younger Scott, a lot more reckless, um, a lot more dangerous, some people would say, a lot more out of control. Um, I used to live by slogans like, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Eh? Uh, true story, no, no risk it, no biscuit. Eh? It's a good one. Can keep keep that one in your back pocket, um, but the last thing I wanted to be growing up was nice. I didn't want to be the nice guy, because nice guys grow up to have nice lives, have nice houses, have nice gardens, and end up being nice people. And if anybody was going to say anything about me, that is the last thing I want to hear. I wanted to be reckless, dangerous, risk-taking, not a nice guy. And one book that I read, um, it'll be on the screen behind me, was called Into the Wild. It was a book that I read in my early teens, and it made, it made a huge impression on me. Um, it was a story, a true story, about a guy that grew up in the suburbs, a very normal person, grew up, had opportunities, and decided that the status quo was not for him. He decided to basically pack up all that he had and to go into the wild, he, he threw off all responsibility, left cell phone, all technology behind, went into the wild, and lived in the wild. And the story enthralled me. It's a true story, and he ends up living in the wild for two years. He eats some poisonous mushrooms and ends up dying, which is unfortunate and everything, but that's not the bit that gripped me. The bit that gripped me was about what does it mean to respond to a dangerous call in your life? What does it mean to go into the wild. And the way that that transplayed and translated in my life as the story gripped me is that I would, true story this, I would get a backpack together, which looked very, actually very similar to this, and I would, put this, I would put this backpack on my pack. I'd leave behind all technology. I'd leave behind all that I could, take a very little bit of amount of money, and I would go into the wild. I would go on adventures. I would basically walk out the front door tell my parents, I'd see them later, and I'd go on adventures. Sometimes it would be a couple of weeks, sometimes it would be a bit longer. The, the, first, the longest one I took was backpacking on my own all the way up to Lake Malawi on my ace, spent a couple of weeks there, and made my way home slowly. I was a nightmare for my parents. Phoned my mom every now and again from a payphone. I'm still good. I'll see you when I see you. Um, but that was my response to this call in my life, saying, into the wild. And we are busy with a preaching series this morning called Into the Wild, the dangerous call of God on our life. And we want to unpack that this morning. What does it mean to respond to the dangerous call of God on our life? If I read my Bible, if I look through these pages, it is astounding to see the number of men and women that have responded to God's dangerous call on their life. I think of somebody like David he was looking after his father's sheep, and this, there, was a, there was a dangerous call on his life. 
he was looking over, and they would, the text says that it didn't matter if a bear or a lion or any other dangerous animal would come and try and attack the sheep. It says David would basically pit them. He would sort them out. He would, he would do what he had to do to protect the sheep. And he had this fight inside of him to protect sheep. And then it came time for Goliath, who was shouting profanities against God's people. And he had this fight in him. He couldn't help but to respond to the dangerous call. He couldn't help but to say, I'm going to do something about Goliath. He goes to the river, gets smooth stones, hits him between the eyes and takes his head off. And his response was going into the wild and responding to that call. I think of somebody like Esther, who was promoted to be queen and in a very powerful position. And out of a situation which was largely outside of her control, war is about to break out. And she gets challenged in that moment to say, Esther, maybe you were born for such a time as this. And in that moment, she steps into the wild. She responds to that dangerous call. She confronts a king who risked her life by doing that and changes the course of history. I've got two boys, um, four and two, and our youngest, Christopher, the one who I lost in Spur a few months back. But he was busy playing in the garden um, and busy throwing rocks over the wall into the neighbor's garden, throwing it on the roof and doing his thing there. And for those of you that want to have good, good um, relationships in your neighborhood, that's not the thing you want to be doing. So, so I sat him down and I said, Christopher, this is not something we do, my boy. We don't throw rocks because rocks break windows, rocks hurt people, rocks are not things that we throw. And he looked at me and he said, he said, Daddy, um, can only David throw rocks? <laughs> I just, I took a second and I was like, Yo, that is so sharp, you know. This little boy, he's been hearing the stories about David and his rocks. And he, he was basically, he went into the garden to find his five smooth stones and was throwing rocks at Goliath. And I just, and I watch my boys. And it's just the thing that I get convicted on, the thing that I feel so strongly about is that this call of God into the wild is something that God puts in each one of our lives. My boys often take it too far when they're busy simulating Goliath getting his head chopped off in the garden. And I've got to say, that's a bit far, guys. Let's step it back a bit. But you can just see it in, in, in the very simple way of watching our kids play and the way that they play and the way the kids grow up. There is a dangerous call on everyone's life. There is a dangerous call that God has put in each of us. And I want that to settle with you this morning. That is my first point to land this morning is to say the call of God is on every single one of your lives. That God has placed a dangerous call on your life specifically. Not somebody else's life, not the person sitting next to you. On your life specifically, there is a dangerous call on your life. There is a dangerous call on your life. And watching my boys play, it's so, it's so simple, it's so uncomplicated. But I think we can probably also relate that as we, as we get a bit older, as we go on in our lives, as things change, as responsibility kicks in, that call of God, that dangerous call, can also at times feel like it gets a bit dim or goes a bit quiet. Or as we need to be at work every Monday morning at 8 o'clock and we work till 5 and there's no time to do anything else or we've got a credit card that's piling up or we can't settle our bills or there's kids to feed, or school fees, school fees to pay, whatever that looks like, it can feel at times like that call can grow dim in our lives. 
Some of you may know, but we spent um, the first two years of our marriage um, laying in, staying in Langebon. Laying in Langebon? We did a bit of that as well, but staying in Langebon. Sorry, my love. I promised I wouldn't make jokes like that, but it just slipped out. It just slipped out. Staying in Langebon. Um, and I worked at a fish factory in, in that time. And um, we would work there, and every year we would get a group of interns that would come in to work at the fish factory. And um, interns, they were very we could say probably unproductive um, group of individuals. Um, they struggle to tie their own shoelaces, and now you need to get value out of them in an organization. And I remember one of the, one of the managers there just having a good, a good rant over, over tea time, and he was just saying, you know, when I grew up, I had dreams of nature conservation. I had dreams to go, I love being outdoors. I love being in wild parks. I wanted to be a game ranger when I grew up. But you know, he said, we can't live with our head in the clouds. We need to suck it up, and we need to do what we need to do to pay the bills. And the sooner these interns can find that out, the better for them. And I just thought, oh, hey, ah, oh, like, is that it, you know? Is that, is that what our life needs to come to, to say we just need to suck it up and get on with it? And I, when I read the text, when I read the scripture, when I read God's word, there's so much more to our lives they're just sucking it up and getting on with it. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you feel like you're in a, a phase of your life this morning. It's just that I just can't, I just need to, maybe my kid's not sleeping. And I just, just give me somewhere to, to rest, you know, just give me an hour to take a nap. Or maybe you're going through a difficult thing relationally. Maybe you're even going through divorce. And you're just thinking, I can't even, I can't even see how I'm going to make my way through this. And now you're talking about God's call on our life. Now you're talking about going into the wild. Now you're talking about the dangerous call of God. Are you kidding me? I'm just in survival mode, yeah? But there is something deep within each of us. There is yearnings, there are desires, there are things within each of us that need to be answered. They have to be answered. And if they aren't answered, we, we go a bit crazy in our heads. And I just want to encourage you this morning that what God has called, He too has made a way. That He has made a way, He's put those things inside of you, He's put those dreams inside of you, and what He has called he has made a way for those things to be fulfilled. And how, and how do we do that? Glad you asked. Let's go turn to Scripture. Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25. It says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want to lose their life for my sake will find it. We turn to scripture for the answers, and then sometimes we not, don't really like what we get. And as I read this scripture here, I think this gives us clues to how we answer the dangerous call of God on our life. The first thing it says is to deny yourself, to deny yourself. And as I was reading this text, it's not self-discipline. Self-denial and self-discipline are very different things. Self-discipline is saying, this is who I am, I'm Scott, and there are certain things that I would like to do, or certain things, certain ways I maybe I want to spend my money, or certain things I, I would like to, would prefer to do, and I'm having the self-discipline not to do those things for whatever reason. That's self-discipline. And maybe you've got into the, the mindset of thinking that Christianity and following Christ is about being self-disciplined, and it's really not. 
That's the last thing that it is. It's not about managing your behavior. It's not about looking a certain way. It's not about doing things that would be perceived to be the right way for Christians to go. That is not what Jesus is asking here. What he's asking of you and of me, of each of us, is to deny yourself. To deny yourself. And that word, deny, the root word, the very same word, is the word that Jesus used when he challenged Peter. When he said to Peter, Peter, you will deny me three times. In the text, it's going to get heavy. Are you ready? It says, before the rooster crows, he says, you will deny me three times. And he actually, different translations say, you will disown me three times. As Jesus confronts Peter, he, he lays that challenge down to his disciples. He says, will you deny yourself? Will you disown yourself? Yo, that's uncomfortable. What does it mean to disown yourself, to physically deny yourself? And I think what it means is the simple, very challenging thing to do is taking yourself out of the center of your life. Taking you out of the most, being the most important person in your life and replacing that with Jesus. Disowning yourself, denying yourself to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I am not Lord and King of my own life. If we read the same scripture, Matthew 16 from the message, it says this, then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to find yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade for your soul? Just such a beautiful way that Scripture's put to say we need to let Jesus lead our life, deny our lives, and follow Him. That's what He asks of us. If I'm honest with myself, and it does had took some self-introspection, is when I when I packed this, this backpack up and I would walk out the door seeking adventure, I was actually putting this backpack full of myself, of, of selfishness, to say that I don't need to submit to the status quo. I don't need to follow the rules. I don't need to live an ordinary life. I need to live a life of adventure. I need the best stories in the world. It was driven and motivated by selfishness. And that is the big turning point and the big aha moment that I've had in my life, that I am not the one who has control of my own life. Because Jesus goes on, he says, to deny yourself and to take up your cross. Take up your cross. And Jesus would have said this before he got crucified. Before he got crucified. He would have told his disciples to take up their cross. You could just imagine, and their eyes would have literally popped as they heard Jesus say this. Because crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. It was reserved for those criminals that had been found guilty, and they needed to be paraded through the town with the cross, the very thing that they were going to 
to be used to end their life. They had to carry that all the way to their point of death. It was literally carrying your own electric chair into the electric chair chamber. Carrying your own guillotine. Carrying the very thing that is going to kill you into a place. And then dying in that, in that place. And Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. He's saying, submit to my lordship. Submit to the authority of me over your life. And follow me to your death, in a sense. And in that, you will find your life. You will find your life. Filling my bag up. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to climb a mountain with a, with a cross on your back. Not, not the easiest thing. It's much easier to climb a mountain with a backpack. It's much easier in life to fill up yourself and fill up what you travel with, with all the things that are important to you and they're important to your needs and your desires and how, where you want to go with in life. But the reality is, and the hard thing to process at times, is as we fill up our lives with ourselves, that is the very thing that allows us not to climb the mountain, not to go where God has called us to, not to go into the wild, not to answer the dangerous call of God. As we fill ourselves up with us, we miss it. Those dreams, those desires, those visions, those hopes, all those things that God has put inside of you, if we fill ourselves up with us, we miss it. But, 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 and a big but, medium-sized but, that's horribly inappropriate. I don't, know where that, I don't know where it comes from. Sorry, Chris. Anyway, but if we are able to take up our cross, If we are able to take up our cross and follow Jesus, he promises us life and life in abundance. Life in abundance. If we're able to get ourselves out of the driver's seat, if we're able to put Jesus in the driver's seat, he promises us a glorious life. A glorious life. Because Jesus is giving the perfect example of what this looks like. He says these words before his crucifixion, God, not my will, but yours be done. He says that as he goes through. He gets crucified. And then, and then what happens? The story doesn't end there. As we lay our lives down, the story doesn't end there. Jesus gets elevated after his crucifixion and sits at the right hand of the Father and rules and reigns above it all, the highest authority on earth. Jesus gives us the example of the crucifixion and finding life and life in abundance after laying his life down for us. And that is what we get invited to. That is the story that we get to be a part of as we get to take a place next to Jesus in heavenly places and to rule and to reign with him. We have things in our lives, we have desires, we have dreams, we have visions, we have hopes, we have things that we would like to, we would love to see in our life. And those things are real and they're from God. And the things that the way to get there is through a life sacrificed to God. The most adventurous life that you could ever dream of, the most hopeful life, the most satisfied life, the, all that you could ever dream of, the best, your best life possible is found through Jesus Christ. And the beauty of it is, as I have had the, the privilege of doing life with so many people here, is you get to see glimpses of it. 
You get to see promises of it as men and women, as people within our congregation have laid down, as they lay down their life, you get to see what a glorious life looks like, a call into the wild, a call, a dangerous call from God. I think of Gabe and Fee, our pastors, our leaders, and I've just had the privilege of doing life with them and walking alongside them, and I just see how day after day, night after night, morning after morning, they go through that process of taking their, themselves out of the center and putting Jesus there and then pursuing that, following Jesus with everything that they have. And their life shines. It shines as an example to me to say that's what life looks like. That's what life in abundance looks like as we lay ourselves out and follow Jesus. And Pele Tao, he's a man who holds many caps. He's an elder, he's a father, he's a lawyer, he's an OT. He does more things than you can imagine. And if anybody has, has a bit of right to, to back themselves, to, to fill up their backpack with, with all their achievements or their degrees, it's, it's probably him. He's, he's got it all. He's done, he's done what needs to be done. And yet I see him, I see the way, the way his life plays out is to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. I will lay down my life for your kingdom, for your bride. And as he does that, his life shines and shines from a place that wouldn't ordinarily be able to be shone from. If we're carrying our own backpack with our rocks of selfishness in it, we are never going to be able to ascend that mountain. We are never going to be able to climb that mountain to what God has called you to. The only way to do it is to take the uncomfortable thing of a cross and to carry. And as I come into land this morning, the photo of me, that's the young Scott. And I, I'm, very, I'm very pleased that I'm not that person anymore. Um, that photo was actually just, it was taken just after um, Amy and I broke up. We, we, used to, we used to date, and this photo was very soon after that, that that photo was taken. Amy and I dated the, the initial round. Um, she keeps reminding me that, that I'm the one who broke things off the night before her exam. But details, 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 details. That is, that is true, unfortunately. Um, but if I think back on that time, that person that I was there, I was the one driving my own life. I was the one in the driver's seat. And I, I know without a doubt that when we do that, when we drive our own life, we mess things up. And Amy and I, we, I messed that relationship up. And we weren't together. We broke up, went our separate ways. And in that time apart, four years apart, four years in the wilderness, as they say, um, the Lord started doing a deep work in me, a deep, deep, deep work in me to reestablish priorities in my life, to reestablish God as the center of my life and the Lord over every single area of my life. But as you know, four years is a long time and things change in four years. Things do change. I, um, I started dating somebody. Amy also started dating someone Nice guy. Um, <laughs> but I just felt like in that moment, and as, as our lives were living geographically apart, that the Lord was doing something inside of me, that Amy was the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, deeply, felt convicted about. I ended the relationship with the girlfriend that I was seeing at the time, 
And I just felt more sure than ever that this is what, this is where I wanted to be. I wanted Amy and I to be married. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And there was the reality of, of a boyfriend in the way, just very honestly and openly. And I can honestly say with conviction that if I had tried to drive my own life in that situation, if I had stayed in the driver's seat, we would not have been married today. If I went in as that young gun, if I took control of my own life, my life would not be where it is. It was a, a daily battle to lay my life down, to say, Jesus, you are in control of my life. And you have put these desires, you've put a dream, you've put a dream of a future with Amy in my heart. I, I can't shake this. I don't know what to do with it. But I know that I need to submit this to you. And I need to let it go and give it to you, Jesus. And I remember physically being on my knees daily for what felt like ages. It was more than a year. Daily asking, God, is this the right time? to go and make contact? Is this the right time to face talk, Facebook stalk Amy? I, I did that already, but I meant like actually send her a message. Um, <laughs> but is this the right time to do it? And, I, I, just, and I, I kept saying, the Lord kept saying, it's not the right time. Trust me in this. Will you let me drive your life? And I remember too the day that I got on my knees and I prayed and God said, it's time, it's time for you to open that door again. And we found each other together. Amy had ended things with that other guy. Um, and we got back together, and within, within six months, we were married. And it's a, a testimony of God's faithfulness. It's a testimony of me denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus. And what he offers on the end of that is life in abundance. Let's stand. I'd like us to pray together this morning, saying, Jesus, we lift our lives to you, our King. We come before you and we lay our lives down at your feet, Jesus. We disown ourselves. We deny ourselves. We take ourselves out of the center so that we may respond to the dangerous call of the gospel so that we may go into the wild with you, Jesus. I know for those here this morning and for myself too, I dream of a risky life. I dream of a dramatic life. I dream of a, a life that changes our city, changes our country, changes our world. And I know too that we find that life through you, our King, by having you, Jesus, as center and Lord over all our life. Amen.